0: And the final question, is there someone you'd like to see spontaneously combust?
1: (laughs) It's one of the best interview questions I've ever heard in my life.
0: Welcome to You Are The Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 41 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Sydney, Australia. Brad, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill, very
1: much. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Can you tell me about yourself? Um, Sure. I live here in Sydney, Australia. Sydney is a city of around 5 million now, I think, and growing fast. We're facing all the, all the usual problems that come with being a big city. Um, traffic, uh, roads, public transport, <laughs> crime, all those sorts of things, which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with in, in the US. But as for me, um, I, uh, I was born here in Sydney. Uh, my mother too was born here in Sydney. Uh, my father was born in Budapest. Uh, and uh, was a holocaust survivor that side of the family was um i have two younger brothers um i've worked in advertising most of my life and dabbled in a few other extracurricular activities i guess you'd say um how's that to start this <laughs> that that
0: sounds good what type of extracurricular activities? Have you done some broadcasting or some film or, or what?
1: Uh, I have. I'm currently making a documentary on a member of what we call the Stolen Generations. Uh, we call them the Stolen Generations. They were indigenous people who were, who had, who were taken away from their families at, uh, from very, very young ages, uh, even as babies. Uh, and it's an unfortunate chapter in Australian history and one which probably isn't very well publicized to tourists, I expect.
0: Have you ever heard about spontaneous human combustion?
1: I have, indeed. I've, I've read a bit about this. Uh, admittedly, not for a while. I haven't, I'm not aware of any recent uh, cases, but uh, I seem to remember um, also reading some even uh, scientific, or perhaps they were only pseudo-scientific explanations for such, even. Uh, but, of course, I guess there is a, uh, a mysterious, a, uh, perhaps uh, even spiritual side to that, some might argue. Uh, I, I guess it's something, uh, as with most things these days, that the older I get, the, uh, the more I realise how little I know. I, I knew everything when I was much younger. But uh, now I know much less. Uh, I feel the same um, way. I, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't uh, hazard a guess as to uh, whether that uh, actually exists, having not eyewitnessed it myself, um, or, or what explanations might possibly be uh, reasonable if, it, if indeed it does exist. But do you think it's possible? But I think anything's possible, Bill. <laughs> uh, Uh, by virtue of the fact uh, that, yeah, I've had one or two uh, kind of uh, ghostly experiences myself. I mean, things that, uh, you know, I'm a great skeptic and a great cynic, and uh, I was uh, as uh, mystified and uh, amazed as anyone could be at uh, one or two experiences I've had. Tell me about one of those. Um, So, well, it sounds like a bit of a classic... uh, Tail. I'm, I'm, I'd be spinning you but uh, and, and indeed even to me when I retell it it sounds that way ex- except that I actually lived through it um, my then wife and I were in a very remote part of Australia um, in the Northern Territory uh, which is a, the, the top end as we call it which is a tropical zone and uh, just to, to picture the Scene, uh, or to paint a picture of the scene for you, uh, this is a place that, where there's a, a, a huge river uh, and it's full of crocodiles. So it's a very uh, wild kind of place and there aren't any places to stay around there, but we found one. And we stayed in a house by ourselves and uh, uh, this was somewhat away from the homestead, if you like, of the, the people that owned the property. So we're very much out on our own, just us, we parked our car there, we had to drive to get there, and there's nothing else around, uh, except the river's uh, not too far, I guess, maybe a bit of a walk. Um, We had a nice dinner, Uh, we had a romantic evening, I guess you'd say, we took ourselves off to bed, Uh, we drifted off to sleep, Uh, we both woke up in the middle of the night, It seemed uh, simultaneously and um, we both felt uh, a very heavy feeling. Um, And uh, my wife was in tears and I asked her what's wrong and I was trying to pretend that I didn't uh, share the feeling. But we discussed it a bit and we found that we were both incredibly and very suddenly depressed and we woke up with this depression. And we both described the same thing. that we felt like it wasn't our depression, that something had sort of not entered us exactly, but was in the ether, if you like. Anyway, we, uh, it was quite an upsetting feeling, and, but we went back to sleep. And then I uh, reawoke because I heard uh, footsteps uh, on the wooden floor in the corridor outside our bedroom. And this wasn't, uh, you know, we've all woken up and uh, thought there's an intruder in the house. I've done that uh, a number of times, and, of course, there's there's been nothing. But these footsteps were unmistakable. I mean, they sounded, these weren't middle-of-the-night footsteps. These were clear-as-day footsteps. Uh, And I became absolutely convinced that uh, if I left the bedroom, I would confront someone in the hallway. Uh, And I decided that I had to leave the bedroom and, and, and confront whoever uh, was there which i did and i walked down the hallway with my my heart was pounding in my chest and i ended up searching every room in the house found nothing i went outside very trepidatiously found nothing and yet i was sure i'd heard these footsteps at the same time i knew we were we were very remote unless someone drove in there and um anyway I'm, i'm trying to keep it short but We ended up speaking to the proprietor uh, of the property and we told them about our our experiences. I'd drawn the conclusion, being a cynic, that he must have been playing, as we say, silly buggers with us, playing a a bit of a practical joke on us. But he denied that. And when we described what had happened, he said, Oh, uh, well, he he and his wife said, Oh, you too. That's happened to a number of people that have stayed there. And um, then they described to us a massacre of Aboriginal that had taken place there, a horrible massacre. And uh, so one of the theories that uh, others that had stayed there had advanced, uh, including, I might say, a minister, or a then minister in the Northern Territory government, uh, who you think wouldn't be a really out there person, um, was that uh, there was some sort of ghostly disturbed presence there. And having had that experience, I found it very hard to deny, despite the fact that I don't really believe in such things. So, these are, this is what I'm talking about when I say the older I get, uh, the more I realize how little I know.
0: And there's no such thing as a happy ghost.
1: <laughs> I, I would, I would, again, I would like to think there are, that not all ghosts are disturbed. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, never met a hap-
0: I've never met a happy ghost. <laughs> Have you met ghosts? Um, I have thought I've seen them in the hallway, and they've never been particularly jolly. They never said, like, mm. you want a candy bar? Right. <laughs> Heard any good jokes well, lately? Nothing like that. <laughs> you talked okay. about your documentary, and what was the surprising thing that you learned about your country?
1: Uh, well, I already had uh, a fair amount of awareness about uh, this particular aspect of our history to begin with, which is what, uh, you know, fired my interest, I suppose, to do the documentary in the first place. Um, Well, I learnt... uh, What I learnt, though, was... uh, I guess I'd known academically, if you like, about that aspect of our history, where children were unceremoniously stripped from their families and uh, put into homes, and often uh, siblings were separated and spread far and wide across the country. Um, and uh, many of those people, some of whom are like in their 60s now, are still in the process of discovering, finding their brothers and sisters and or /or finding out what happened to to them. Um, In many cases, they've passed on. And What I did learn from, uh, or what I have learned so far from being involved with this documentary and one person's particular story is... Yeah, you know my father uh, was a holocaust survivor as i said uh, so I, I was aware of the horrors uh, of that particular episode of history what i wasn't aware of is on an individual level there are comparable horrors uh, in my very own country which i guess is shocking uh, not only to me as an australian but would be shocking to many people around the world to tend to fancy or fantasize uh, about a country like Australia as as being close to perfect. You know, blue skies, sun shining, uh, happy-go-lucky country, uh, relatively wealthy country, all of which is true. But um, when you look under the covers, roll back that carpet a bit, there's a fair bit swept under there. And uh, what I learned was that uh, one person, even in a country, a lucky country like this, can have been through hell. And uh, and it's a miraculous thing when someone survives what uh, the subject of my documentary has survived. And it's been both horrifying and very, very uplifting, certainly very moving. Even shooting the documentary uh, was a very gruelling process, uh, not just for the subject, but uh, for me and my very small crew. Um because uh, we heard some very, very distressing things. And as I was sitting there uh, interviewing the subject, I I realized that uh, I probably, or almost certainly, could not have survived, uh, let alone triumphed, over what she's survived and triumphed over.
0: Do you think that there are good people around the world and bad people around the world and some incredibly... Horrible
1: decisions made by a few? I don't think there are, or I prefer to think there aren't bad people as such. In fact, I think that's kind of dangerous thinking. Um, I think often in society, and this is often drummed up by politicians uh, who like to make things very black and white for us, and, and I guess oftentimes we like that too because it makes life simple. Um, you know, we often talk about us and them in, in various contexts. We talk about criminals, for instance, as if they're a separate breed of people, and yet any of us can commit a crime and thus become a criminal. So it, it's a pretty fine line, and uh, I think any of us have the potential to step over it. Um, and I think we need to look ourselves more holistically as uh, individually and collectively good and, and bad. I, you know, I don't think one individual or one nation is... Uh, all good or all bad? Um, it's about the, <laughs> the simplest answer I can give to that question, I think, without going on for hours.
0: So to maybe summarize, you don't think there are such, is such a thing as a bad person, just bad decision?
1: Yes, basically, bad decisions, and uh, I think uh, each of us can be waylaid, can be um, seduced by uh, power particularly. Power and money, I guess. I mean, I know it's a cliche. I don't think those things need to corrupt necessarily, but I think they almost as often as not do. And we're seeing that with our own government right now. Um, You might be aware, I don't know what press you've had over there, but we had something called the Australian Wheat Board. And uh, they became uh, heavily involved with Iraq. Iraq was a big customer when Saddam was uh, still in power. And uh, because Saddam, of course, was a very corrupt individual uh, and ran a very corrupt government, the Australian Wheat Board uh, paid all sorts of massive bribes uh, in order to have our wheat sold there because they were an important customer, Uh, which raises a lot of questions, of course, uh, not least of which is, did our government, our ministers uh, and our prime minister know about that? They say not, but that seems incredible. Um, So that's something which uh, is with us at the moment uh, uh, along the lines of that uh, question, I guess. So no such thing as bad
0: people, just bad decisions? I would
1: say so, yeah.
0: So Adolf Hitler was just a good guy who made some bad decisions?
1: Well, this is where, as I said at the outset, uh, uh, that goodness sometimes is hard to discern. And certainly you've named one individual in which uh, uh, it would be incredibly hard to discern. And uh, uh, I don't think it helps us, though, historically, um, to guard against Hitler's in the future, um, to see him, even him, uh, in a totally one-dimensional way. I'm not saying he did any good. Uh, You know, for all I know, perhaps, I mean, he had a very successful regime in a lot of ways. He motivated, uh, perhaps by fear, but uh, presumably by other means as well, he motivated a lot of people. I mean, it uh, it wasn't just about Hitler. Hitler drove it, but uh, there are a lot of henchmen around him who uh, perhaps in some ways were even worse than Hitler himself in terms of the deeds they were personally responsible for. And indeed, uh, and it's an ongoing debate, I suppose, I'm not sure that uh, the German people can be... Uh, of that time can be excused on the basis uh, purely of that they lived in fear of Hitler or his regime or that they didn't know what was going on. I fi- still find these excuses very questionable. Um, so, um, no, Hitler would appear to be a pretty bad individual, that's for sure, But and, and certainly uh, my own family suffered at his hands and not all of them survived. So it's not something that I can be blase about. Um, particularly having a, a Jewish background on that, that side of my family. But nonetheless, I think it helps to uh, try and take a more sophisticated view, I guess. Tell me
0: what is politics like in Australia?
1: Oh, well, now you'll really get me started. Um, look, I, I have to confess up front that uh, I lean to the left I'm i'm what... Uh, Many on the right would call a bleeding heart liberal, or worse, um, generally speaking. Um, I don't uh, see myself as that. I just like to see myself as uh, you know, having uh, a strong set of ethics uh, in terms of just believing in very simple values, honesty, integrity, uh, loyalty, um, things like that, which seem to be uh, quite out of fashion in practice. Um, I'm very unhappy with our uh, governments, generally speaking, state and federal, but particularly federally. Um, it gets into some very touchy areas here. Uh, whilst it's a very complex issue, and I wouldn't be one to seek to oversimplify it, I'm not sure that we should be in Iraq. I tend to think we shouldn't be in Iraq. Uh, I'm. Although we've put an end to a a bad regime and we've ended a lot of killing, there's still a lot of killing going on, so I'm not sure if we've really advanced things. I don't think democracy has kicked in yet, and I'm not even sure that it will. Uh, And and that's not to be critical of uh, the United States, necessarily, or or even George Bush, who's admittedly not one of my my favourite politicians of all time, or presidents. Um, But I, frankly, don't like our Prime Minister. Um, There's a lot of things happening here, I think, by stealth. And because Australia and and Australians uh, tend to be very apathetic politically, I guess that's a disease which arguably the United States suffers from too in terms of voter turnout at least. Um, A lot of things are being pushed through which I think are very dangerous. And when I say dangerous, I think... Uh, we're seeing a lot of restriction of uh, liberties Uh, much of this is in the aftermath of 9-11 I think 9-11 unfortunately has been exploited to a certain extent by the United States and Australian governments and perhaps to a lesser extent by the British government to infringe people's liberties and obviously we need to take precautions we need to guard against uh, terrorism um, but I'm not sure that restricting uh, everyone's liberties uh, to protect us, as it were, from, you know, an infinitesimal threat when it comes down to it, in terms of the number of people, number of people involved in terrorism on the world scale, out of the total population, I'm not sure if uh, the end is justified by the means. Um, that's, that's putting it very broadly. Uh, but I am very worried about uh, infringement of uh, civil liberties uh, on behalf of governments. Uh, because, you know, this is, uh, and I don't want to exaggerate this, but um, it, it's tip of the iceberg stuff. This is uh, how Hitler's happens uh, when governments get too much power over the citizenry. And I, I, like to be, I like to live in a country where the government is afraid of the people, not the other way around. And uh, any potential for that changing scares the living daylights out
0: of me. Can I ask you a question about civil liberties? Absolutely. Because I've heard the term of restricting civil liberties in this country, too. And as a normal, average, everyday American, if you were to say, you know, you've got to watch out for your civil liberties being restricted, I'm trying to think, you know, in the last... Oh, almost four and a half years. I don't know if I'm any less free today than I was back on September 11th. So have you experienced any episodes where you are experiencing less liberty or less freedom today than you were five years ago?
1: Um, Yes, I would say I I have. Um, I think it's patently absurd, for instance. Um, I I think it's a gross, simplistic, uh, even childish overreaction that when I go to the airport, uh, that if I happened to, even inadvertently, uh, make some kind of joke, which was overheard by, let's say, a security guard, which involved the word bomb, um, then I could be arrested and or heavily fined. Uh, now, I think that's taking things too far. Uh, and it's it's not even really about the, the penalty, uh, which I think is <laughs> very severe. Uh, And I realised, you know, we we have to be cautious, as I say. Um, It's more about the fact that when I walk into the airport, I'm aware that there are things that I can't even say. Now, this gets into areas of free speech, and uh, that, uh, when you have any infringement of free speech, uh, that, I think, is a terrifying prospect. And that that, to a lot of people would be nothing. To me, it's something.
0: So, you would be supportive or okay with somebody who jumped up in the middle of a theater and yelled fire? No, I wouldn't. I mean, that's uh, the converse. Then, what's the difference between. uh, Then, what's the difference between doing that and making a joke about a bomb in an airport? uh,
1: I, I think there's a huge difference. Uh, I think if I'm talking to a friend and we're having a conversation, I think it's a, a question of context. Obviously, someone who jumps up in the theater is creating a general alarm, it's creating panic, uh, it's creating havoc. Uh, there's consequences to that action. Um, whereas me having a joke with a friend, there are no consequences to that action. It's a private thing.
0: Let me ask you this, though, that if, for example, I don't know you and... I overhear that joke. I don't know that you're kidding. So to me, yeah, yeah. As, an, as an innocent bystander, that could be very threatening. Do, do you see somebody having that type of viewpoint?
1: Not really. Not unless they are prone to overreaction. Uh, because I, I think uh, things can be discerned. I, I think we're intelligent beings. Uh, I think we can discern things from context. Uh, yes. I agree that perhaps we should be erring on the side of overcaution, but I don't think we should be erring on the side of paranoia, even in light of the 9-11 and the London bombings. That's a fact of life that we have to come to terms with. I'm not saying we should relax. I'm saying we should be vigilant, but not paranoid. It doesn't help, and it doesn't change anything.
0: I agree with you on the part about being paranoid, but I, I disagree with you on the part of what I would call common sense and etiquette.
1: I, I, perhaps I've given a bad example by talking about the, uh, the bomb thing at airports. Uh, really, the point I was trying to get to is I'm not suggesting that I want to go into an airport and make jokes about bombs. Uh, I'm saying that someone on occasion can inadvertent, inadvertently uh, you know, say something and then find themselves... Uh, Subject to the same sort of penalties as a true terrorist might be subject to, uh, because and, uh, they would be a sus-
0: they would have be under suspicion of knowing about a criminal act. And,
1: that's right. But
0: I- and if you're silly enough to go ahead and make a joke like that in an airport, knowing the consequences of that, I don't. First of all, see where that would be very smart, and number two, how that is restricting people's civil liberties. In other words, no, co- people are less free because of
1: it. it. Of course, it's not very smart, but we're all pla- prone to doing silly or downright stupid things from time to time. Uh, but but being silly and like-
0: stupid isn't uh, having your civil liberties taken away.
1: Um, yeah, well, I'm saying that uh, there's a restriction in place, and there are many other restrictions here in place now which weren't previously in place. I'll give you another example. Uh, I lived uh, previously in an area very close to the city uh, uh, called Elizabeth Bay. It's next door to a suburb called uh, a city fringe suburb called Kings Cross, which is a, a red light district traditionally, and has been uh, gone through various uh, stages and, and phases. And sometimes it, it's been glitzy and showbiz, and it's a place where you know, your Sammy Davis Juniors would have stayed when they came to Australia, your Frank Sinatras and so forth. Uh, and then it went through a, you know, a bit of a downward spiral. And, and now it's kind of a slick residential area, as well as having overtones or undertones of those other things. Um, but there has been traditionally a, a, a drug culture there. And, um, and so there's a heavy, heavy police presence. Um, and, and one of the things that the, uh, the New South Wales state government introduced uh, there uh, for the police was sniffer dogs. Um, now, sniffer dogs, of course, are used you know, in airports and various other contexts to suss out drugs. But what the police now do is they, they walk up and down the street, just as I do, um, with their sniffer dogs. What this means is that, uh, in theory at least, Uh, I I don't use drugs, I don't take drugs, I don't buy drugs, I don't sell drugs. But if I happen to be in a bar where someone was, say, smoking dope illegally, and these things do happen, uh, and, and consequently the smell was on my clothes, in my hair, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm confronted by a policeman with a sniffer dog, I'm going to be sniffed out, and I'm going to be taken back to the police station, put in a cell, perhaps? Or at least it's questioned. I'd be under suspicion. And for what? Uh, that's an example of me as an ordinary citizen minding my own business, being punished or put under unreasonable suspicion, I think. Uh, being punished um, you know, as being in the 98% uh, of innocence, if you like, for the 2% of people that might be doing something wrong. Now, I'm just making up those figures. I doubt that there's even too Um, I'm saying that uh, we can get things asked about very easily and uh, that's another example of it there are many others Uh, it's a general trend which worries me it's not not the specific thing of not being able to say the word bomb or being sniffed out in a suburb of Sydney Um, it's the general trend down this road it's a fascistic sort of road to me
0: well, maybe Australia must be different than, than the United States, because if somebody was stopped here with a sniffer dog, they wouldn't haul them down and, and put them in a jail. They would do a personal search and say, can I see what's in your pockets? And if there is nothing on them, then they would be free to go. But in Australia, it sounds like even if they're in, under suspicion, they're just hauled off to jail.
1: Well, that, not quite like that, but I, I would be probably, in the first instance, politely invited, as it were, to come back to the station and have a little chat.
0: Why wouldn't now, they investigate you right then and there and just say, can, can you show me what you have on your person? Do you, have, do you have anything on you? Do you have anything in your pockets?
1: Well, they, they might well do that, but, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Why should I, as an innocent person, be humiliated in the street? or in a in street of a suburb in which I live, in which I try and maintain respect and credibility, uh, why should I be humiliated in the street that way as a totally innocent person? I think it's wrong, and I, I can tell you right now, I would not submit to it. Then you if would go to jail. Yeah. If, ne- if necessary, I would, yes.
0: Yeah, see, I, I would go ahead and cooperate with them and just say, you know, I'm, let's skip the jail point. What's the biggest injustice in the world?
1: The biggest injustice? This is uh, that uh, we have the means to feed everybody, and we don't.
0: We have the means to save everyone, but we don't.
1: There's plenty of food. No, well, that's, that's being overly simplistic, I'd suggest, Bill. Uh, there's plenty of food to go around. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just about politics. It's just about distribution. And, of course, the obstacles to that food being distributed and aid being distributed are corrupt governments, uh, you know, There's plenty of them in Africa, um, for instance, um, which are holding things up. Um, But you know, most things are about political will. We we have the technology, as it were. We have the means, and we certainly have the food that's been demonstrated, time and time again. Uh, You know, I'm not saying we can save everyone. Of course, we can't. Um, There will always be people in war, in conflict. There will always be people who want to hurt other people. There will always be people who want more power, who want more money, who want to take over governments. Um, there will always be people who want to build nuclear weapons, who want to use nuclear weapons. There's never going to be an end to human tragedy, but we can certainly do a lot in the direction of uh, stopping people from starving, um, to do a lot more.
0: So. With these politicians who are preventing people from getting food in their own countries, correct? There are, there are people in the world, Absolutely. politicians that are preventing them from getting the food that they need to stay alive. Are, Absolutely. I mean, it's
1: very well documented.
0: <laughs> are those good people that are just making bad decisions?
1: Uh, it's very clever of you to come back to your original question. Um, uh, you know, it's a difficult question. I, you know, when I when I say that there's good and bad in all of us, uh, it certainly appears on the surface there's a lot more bad in some people and a lot more good in some people. You know, it's hard to see the bad in the Dalai Lama and it's hard to see the good in Robert Mugabe. Um, but uh, who knows? Uh, what I'm saying is that for all I know, uh, Mugabe is very good to his own family. I don't know. Um, I just... Uh, think that if, if we're to survive as a species, we have to maintain hope. And uh, if we see p- people as all bad, even if it's only some people, uh, it leaves us less and less room for hope. Uh, where's the room to move in that? How, how can people be redeemed? And people are redeemed. Um, one miraculous story here springs to mind. Uh, quite a few years ago, there was a horrific murder of a... a, a a poor young nurse uh, just making her way home from work, and she was serially raped by a a gang of of horrible individuals who did horrible things, raped and murdered. It was one of the worst cases, uh, criminal cases, in our recent history. Um, But uh, just a few years ago, um, the father of that girl went to the prison where one of the, uh, well, really, the ringleader of that gang uh, is incarcerated. He sat down with him, sat across the table from him, and basically said, I forgive you. Now, I could never have done that. I would have, uh, I would have had a vengeful feelings towards that individual for the rest of my days, I'm sure. And had I sat across the table from him, I probably would have tried to kill him. Um, But you read of these things, and people are capable of incredible acts of forgiveness. And I think that's those those incredible acts of forgiveness which uh, can lead their opposite number to uh, redeem themselves, or at least allow them that opportunity. And I think we have to allow people the opportunity to redeem themselves wherever possible.
0: So people Um, can be redeemed?
1: I, I think... You know, I I can't cite any more cases off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are many cases where people have redeemed themselves, even if they've murdered before, done terrible things before. People do completely turn their lives around. And uh, there was a guy out here recently uh, who was on one of our TV talk shows, and he used to be, I think, the head of the Ku Klux Klan over there. And he now is going around the world warning against that precise kind of thing he completely and utterly changed his his views
0: do you think we should try your theory with saddam hussein and why or why not
1: um i'm not sure how this theory applies to saddam hussein um but everybody can be redeemed uh, did i say everybody um I, i i said that i think uh for our own sakes, if you like, we have to allow the possibility. Uh, we have to allow the possibility in our own minds. You know, in a, I think in a case like a, a Saddam Hussein or a, a Slobodan Milosevic, uh, I was sad to hear that uh, Slobodan Milosevic died of a heart attack because I would have liked to have seen him. You know, I have to be frank here, and even if this goes against what I've just been saying, I personally would have liked to have been brought to account for his atrocities or the alleged atrocities, we should say, but I'm sure they could have been demonstrated, Um, he should have suffered. He should have languished in jail. The same as I believe that, uh, apart from any other arguments, uh, you know, putting someone to death as as a punishment, for a lot of people, is no punishment at all. It's a much tougher life in jail than, you know, five horrible minutes or ten horrible minutes in in an electric chair or whatever. Um, There are other arguments against that for me. but um, that's one, that uh, the punishment should fit the crime. And I think languishing in jail is a far worse, worse punishment. And uh, people like Milosevic um, or Saddam are, uh, you know, should be subject to that kind of penalty. So they really have time to think about it.
0: I think Saddam could think about it all day, and he'd still come to the same conclusion that he was right.
1: Well, well that's, that could well be. But uh, I, I would prefer to see Saddam punished by way of life imprisonment than being put to death, because uh, I think he suffers more as a result, and I think he deserves to suffer. He deserves to understand what suffering is. Uh, you You know, begin to understand what suffering is, let alone the kind of suffering he's inflicted on others.
0: Here are the final five questions. Who do you think is the best actor in the world today?
1: It's a really tough call, Bill, because, uh, you know, there are actors I see uh, week in, week out who are very fine actors who, you know, not many of us would ever have heard of. Um, but uh, one of my favourites uh, is one of yours, which is John Turturro. I think he's a, a very versatile um, film actor. Um, and uh, I'm a great admirer of his. Um, you know, there's other actors I like, you know, like a Dustin Hoffman or whatever. Uh, but I think Dustin sort of plays Dustin, which is appealing. But uh, in terms of acting, if you like, I think uh, John Turturro um, can reinvent himself for every role and being, be unrecognisable virtually, except to those of us who sort of know him, um, because he, he creates very whole characters. They're very fully and completely and persuasively realised. So he's one I could name at least. He'll he'll do. Have you ever seen a shark? Um, in in the wild, as it were.
0: Yes. Or in the um, ocean. Um,
1: I'm trying to think. Not when I've been swimming, I don't think. Uh, fortunately, but um, I think I probably have from a boat or uh, what have you. In in fact, I'm pretty sure I have. I can't clearly remember the last occasion, but yeah.
0: What's the best advice you can give to someone about marketing?
1: Well, I would say something that's often overlooked is, uh, about the, is the product itself. A lot of people still seem to think that it's possible to market a, a bad product uh, or an ordinary product or, or a, a lesser product. And uh, you can do that, but not for very long. And uh, it's the part of the equation that uh, oftentimes people uh, can do everything else right. Oftentimes they don't, of course, but, uh, but oftentimes they, they forget to interrogate the product, as it were.
0: How do most Australians view New Zealanders?
1: Uh, we make uh, lots of jokes about them. Uh, we call them Kiwis, of course, after the flightless bird that's uh, only known in New Zealand. Um, but uh, New Zealanders, of course, uh, the people aren't flightless birds. Plenty of them come here to stay, (laughs) but we have to be grateful to them as well, I think. Uh, New Zealanders, you know, per capita, they have an extraordinary number of uh, highly successful entrepreneurs, uh, musicians particularly. A lot of uh, the, uh, you know, rock musicians, for instance, rock and pop musicians and songwriters, that we call our own because they've come here. Actually, came from us, Aust- from New Zealand. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we can't be too smug. I, I, I think uh, New Zealand is a very admirable country in lots of ways. Uh, it's quite a progressive country uh, compared to Australia. I think they're ahead of us in lots of ways. They have a treaty with their indigenous people. Uh, we don't, despite promises that that would happen. Um, and uh, they, uh, I think it was a courageous decision many years ago, it may, may not be one that you agree with or many listeners agree with, but uh, New Zealand as opposed to Australia many years ago actually uh, refused to have uh, nuclear-equipped ships in, in their harbours or in its harbour. Um, you know, we let you in willy-nilly. And for a small country to do that, who's allied with the United States and relies on an ally like the United States in in times of trouble, uh, some people may see it as foolhardy, perhaps it was in some ways, but uh, nonetheless I think it's important for uh, individuals and nations to have their own voice, and uh, I think it was courageous uh, that they weren't afraid to speak up about that and state their view in no uncertain terms.
0: I'd bet they'd let those nuclear submarines in if their country was attacked.
1: Well, of course, that's the big question. That's
0: the big question.
1: Um, But I I guess what it was about, making a statement, uh, that, uh, which again is debatable, but I guess it was uh, the then-Prime Minister's belief that uh, we don't need nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons actually create threats. They don't exist them.
0: And the final question, is there someone you'd like to see spontaneously combust?
1: It's one of the best interview questions I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Yes, John Howard, our Prime Minister. I would like to see him spontaneously combust immediately.
0: Brad, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the tables over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So go ahead and fire away. What makes you most proud to be American? I think the thing that makes me most proud to be an American is just Freedom and the pursuit of happiness, I guess, would be one of the things I'm most proud about.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll ask an obvious uh, counter-question, as it were, what makes you least proud? If indeed there is anything.
0: Oh, I I think the, the thing that makes me least proud about this country is just the bickering back and forth between the Republicans and the Democrats. I think that first of all, as Americans, we should all be working together, but uh, there just seems to be this divide and uh, I don't see it coming together anytime soon.
1: Well, we suffer from the same disease here, of course. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I think people here feel very similarly about it. Um, My third question would be um, what in today's world inspires bill grady most
0: as far as just my motivation goes or a
1: particular what what really makes you feel life worth living and brings you joy and hope and all those good yummy feelings
0: my main motivation is just trying to live a good life and trying to be there for my friends and family and in reflecting on this past week realizing how short life really is and just saying you know what if if you treat everybody like time is limited we'll all be better off and you'll all see life in a different way
1: how about mm-hmm. for you um i would i, I would actually answer uh, in a similar vein um i think some of the things uh, I've been talking about, and I get a bit hit up and a bit serious, perhaps, uh, when it comes to politics. Yeah. But um, you know, it's a terrible cliche, but uh, uh, well, a very, you know, it comes down to very simple things. I, I was on a bus yesterday, and uh, the bus actually pulled up to change drivers, to change shifts, and uh, the bus driver, as he's getting off the bus. You know, everyone's silent, doing their own thing, listening to their iPods, fiddling with their mobile phones. The bus driver, he he took his ID down, his photo ID, and he said, and this may be sort of relate to an Australian sort of sense of humour, but uh, he said, if you think that's ugly, wait wait till you see the next guy. And and just that little joke that he threw out there and a few other comments, it made everyone on the bus uh, virtually smile. It changed the whole mood of the afternoon for a whole bunch of people, and uh, it's so easy to, to feel better and to make other people feel better. It takes so little effort just to smile at someone in the street, and, and I really think that these things can change the world.
0: A good person with a good decision, in other words.
1: Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, you summed it up very nicely.
0: <laughs> Brad, do you have any projects going on right now that you want to talk about?
1: Uh, well, I guess I'm um, ensconced in this uh, documentary. It's, I'm doing it between other things, so it's a bit of an on-again, off-again organic kind of process with no particular deadline on it, but uh, I, I, I guess that's a, a preoccupation for me. Um, at any given time, there are lots of things I would like to be doing in addition. It's all a question of time, and uh, I sleep too little as it is. <laughs> but um there are a lot of there are always letters that i want to write <laughs> uh, to state my view my heartfelt view about certain things um there are certain things which concern me greatly but there just isn't enough time to do everything there isn't enough time to put out every fire or fight every battle i try and fight a few where wherever they might crop up but um, that documentary is important because i want uh, ordinary australians to hear the human stories behind the politics, if you like, behind the, the academic history. Uh, because that's the stuff that really affects people and, and, and can move mountains, I think, is when you really understand what people have been through. And because you can't fight every
0: battle, you have to pick your battles well. Exactly, exactly. Brad, thank you so much for being our guest this week on
1: You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure. Very, very interesting indeed. Hi, this is Derek the Bandit from Johannesburg in South Africa.
0: Derek the South Republic.
1: Join me as I take you on a journey through the world of electronic music. The finest electronic music from South Africa and the world, and it's all pod safe. Derek the Bandit's Sound Republic. Definitely gives <laughs> you a of feeling of euphoria that you don't get from much else. Derek the Bandit's Sound Republic. More info at www.soundrepublic.co.za.
0: Blasting through the podosphere, from South Africa to the world. Derek the Bandits Sound Republic. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.